Hello, glad to have you with our Facebook study. It is Bill Allen coming to you live from downtown Tyler, Texas. I hope that you're having a good week. I am appreciative of the time away. Joyce and I were able to spend some downtime with grandkids. If there is such a thing as downtime with grandkids, we loved every second of it. And it was a fun, exciting, and very exhausting time for this Gammy and this Papa, but we couldn't be happier than having our grandkids around. That is when Joyce is most in her element, and we just loved every second with them and are looking forward to some more time with them. In a couple of weeks, we'll be able to be with not just the grands, but also the parents of the grands, all of the Allen clan together, and so we're excited about that. But I have a study today. We have two studies next week, and we are very about waist deep in the prophets. We have been reading through the prophet Isaiah. We have looked at some incredible uh, prophetic statements from men like Jonah and Amos and Micah, uh, Hosea. Uh, they are just uh, amazing, amazing writers and preachers and prophets. The word prophet, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean for telling the future. In scripture, a prophet is a spokesman. A prophet is a spokesperson for God. And uh, that's what these prophets were. They were telling the people around them of God's message for them and their day primarily. And then as we know, we've seen some of their statements that look ahead to the future as well. But they were spokesmen, first of all, uh, spokespersons for God. And so we read about that, the messages that they're giving to their own people, the Jews in the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. We've recently seen the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century BC, the 700s, go into Assyrian captivity. The world empire is the nation of Assyria, the empire of Assyria. And they are stretching their tentacles across the world of their day. And it has touched uh, uh, the Syrians north of Israel. It has touched the nation of Israel, God's people, taking them into captivity. And it has threatened the southern kingdom of Judah. But because of the preaching of Isaiah and Micah and because of the uh, great messages of, uh, of, of Isaiah primarily, and then also, of course, the righteous King Hezekiah, they were able to survive. And the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem is spared. And so now we find ourselves in the 600s BC, uh, a few decades before the southern kingdom of Judah ultimately collapses and is taken into captivity, not by the Assyrians, but by the Babylonians. And so there's some uh, important messages to be heard during this important time and some uh some other prophets step on the scene as well we'll talk about a couple of them uh in the old testament they're in the minor prophet section remember that just means they didn't they're not as long as isaiah and jeremiah and ezekiel and daniel those are considered the major prophets only because their their messages were longer but the minor prophets as they are referred to are, are very major and significant in their statements. And we read about a couple of those uh, today. One of them is Nahum, and one of them is Zephaniah. And they both were uh, uh, prophets who lived somewhere around the 630, 640 BC. 
And so they're uh, a few decades away from when the Babylonians start threatening Jerusalem, but they, they have a message for the world of their day. God's people in Judah, remember the northern kingdom is now already in captivity, but they have some statements for the southern kingdom of Judah, but also for the surrounding nations. One of the things that I hope you're getting from reading through the Bible this year is that God was always concerned about everyone in his world wasn't just concerned about the Jews, even though they were the chosen nation, the people of God, but God meant for them to be a light and a witness to the Gentiles and to the pagans and to all of the other nations around them. And we saw that with Moses and the plagues and the deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Uh, got throughout that, that uh, section in scripture, God uh, reminds them that, that this is so that all of the nations and all of the peoples will follow him. Isaiah brings that out in many of his passages as he calls on all of the nations, all of the peoples to, um, to serve and worship the one true and living God. Well, we turn first today to the prophet Nahum, N-A-H-U-M. And uh, right off the bat in chapter 1, verse 1, we read where this is going. A prophecy concerning Nineveh. The book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. What else do we know about Nahum? Pretty much Zippo. Uh, and we're not even sure. It, it really doesn't help us that he's called an Elkishite. We're not sure about what that means either. But we do know who his intended uh, audience is, and that is not the people of God. It's not the southern kingdom of Judah or Jerusalem. It is Nineveh. And by saying Nineveh, he is representing all of Assyria. Assyria, again, the world empire, they've just taken the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity, uh, perhaps 70 or 80 years before this time, and now uh, they are threatening the rest of the world, but Nahum has a message for them. Uh, Nahum is going to be prophesying somewhere probably around 640 uh, BC, and he's going to be speaking primarily to Assyria. And he represents them by calling them their capital city, Nineveh. Uh, and that is exactly what Nahum's going to be referring to. And so throughout this section, it's prophecies against the world power, Assyria. And we see this in a very significant way in chapter 3. Uh, we'll read the first seven verses or so in chapter 3. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, the, who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Uh, Nahum spares no words uh, and no compassion in uh, talking about how angry God is uh, against the nation of, of Assyria. We've seen from other prophets that God has said, I used you to punish the nations, including my people, Israel and Judah. But he says that doesn't mean that you are the one who has to take pride in this and that you glory in yourself and that you carry this wickedness to an extreme I never meant to have. And that's what Nahum condemns them for in these first four verses. And so verse five of Nahum three, 
I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your faces, a sign of uh, embarrassment and shame. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with filth. I will treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. Basically what they had done with all of the nations they had conquered. Verse 7, all who see you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? There is no one. No one is sad that the Assyrians are overtaken. And that's what Nahum says is going to happen. He prophesies about this, and it's going to happen. Assyria and Nineveh fall uh, about perhaps maybe 20 or 30 years after these words are written in 612 B.C. Uh, and then the Babylonians take over as the world power. But for now, we're still a few decades away from that, and Nahum is announcing it, that that's going to happen. He says in verse 8 of chapter 3, Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? And Thebes had already been conquered. And so we have a little bit of an idea of when Nahum lived and wrote because of these little markers uh, that we have. Well, we turn from Nahum and his prophecies against Assyria uh, to the prophet Zephaniah, not Zechariah, not Jeremiah. We'll mention Jeremiah in just a minute and turn to the start of that great book. But first of all, Zephaniah, Z-E-P-H-A-N-I-A-H. Uh, Zephaniah, who writes about the same time as Nahum, maybe a little bit after, but not much. And uh, this describes Zephaniah in chapter 1, verse 1 of his book. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, that's a name you know, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. We're just now getting introduced to Josiah, and I'm going to talk about him a little bit more in just a few moments. But uh, Zephaniah announces his legacy, his heritage, his ancestry. And the reason is, is he's of royal blood. He is a distant cousin and relative of King Josiah that he speaks about. And he, both of them are fourth generation descendants of King Hezekiah. And so Zephaniah announces his uh, lineage here at the very beginning, and it adds credibility, of course, to his message because he's of royal blood. He's not just a prophet, but he is actually a descendant of King Hezekiah and a relative, distant, yes, but a relative of King Josiah. And King Josiah is likely the king as Zephaniah is making this prophecy. Uh, that seems to be exactly what he's saying. And so Zephaniah, what about his message? Well, his message is uh, similar to some others we've read about Joel, Amos, for example, who talk about the day of the Lord. And Zephaniah is going to be speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah, of course, and particularly in Jerusalem, where he likely lives, and is there uh, as a, a descendant of King Hezekiah, a relative of the current king, Josiah, and he has a message from the Lord, and it is not good news. Uh, he begins uh, by talking about how he is going to sweep away everything uh, from the face of the earth. God is mad, in other words. And we continue reading in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 4. He says this, 
I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. So uh, unlike uh, Nahum, his counterpart and contemporary likely, Zephaniah is not speaking out against the pagans. He's speaking about, he's speaking out against the people of God, the Jews living in Jerusalem and in Judah. Um, Verse 4 again, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal worship in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord, but also swear by Molech, one of the idols, a horrible god of the time, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Speaking about the God of the Jews, Yahweh, the Lord, Jehovah. Verse 7, be silent before the sovereign Lord for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. And then we skip down a little bit more and we go down to verse 14 of Zephaniah 1. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. Uh, It's not going to be pretty. And we've seen that in some of the other prophets as well who spoke about the day of the Lord like Amos who said, this is not going to be a good day. Some of you are thinking, oh, let the day of the Lord come. And he said, believe me, you don't want it to happen because right now you're not being faithful and God is going to bring destruction and punishment. He's not going to bring reward on this particular day of the Lord. And that's basically the same message that Zephaniah is now giving. Uh, Throughout Zephaniah, he condemns the nations, including Assyria, but he especially has uh, difficult words uh, for the people of Judah and the city, their capital city of uh, Jerusalem. And then at the end of Zephaniah, he has this wonderful message of restoration, and that's where we'll end our lesson today. But give me a few more minutes, if you don't mind, because I want to talk about King Josiah a little bit. Who is the king at this time? He reigns um, about 30 years or so in Jerusalem, and he is a very righteous king, just like King Hezekiah was. He has many reforms. He does a lot of work to get back away from the idolatry that the king since Hezekiah had brought back in. Remember, Hezekiah cleaned out uh, the, the temple, and they had a great Passover celebration, and And he responded to Isaiah's preaching and God heard and answered his prayers and saved the people of Israel from the Assyrians. But now King Josiah is going to come up and he's going to do much the same thing. And unlike Hezekiah, King Josiah starts out in a very early age. Uh, His story is seen in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and also in 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. And Josiah is influenced by Zephaniah, who he's somewhat related to, uh, that we've just read from, and also later Jeremiah, and we're going to see the start of Jeremiah's ministry in just a few moments. Josiah becomes king at the age of eight years old. Eight years old, I was in second grade and knew nothing. (laughs) 
And it all depends on the people around him, but Josiah had good people around him. He reigned about 30 or 31 years, starting about 640 B.C. So he was the king likely when Nahum and Zephaniah and then later Jeremiah uh, began uh, their ministry of preaching. So he started at age eight. At age 16, after being a king for eight years, uh, Josiah, the scripture says, begins to wholeheartedly seek the Lord. Uh, just like David was a man after God's own heart and sought the Lord all his life, even though he sinned tremendously, he repented and he continued on that path. Josiah does the same thing. At the very young age of 16, Josiah begins to wholeheartedly seek the Lord. My grandsons, the two older ones, are 11 years old. They both turned 12 three weeks apart in, in October this year. And both have been baptized. Both are seeking the Lord already, and we couldn't be happier. We feel very, very blessed uh, with our children and our grandchildren. Now, Isaac just baptized in Arlington last night. What a great moment that was. At age 16, Josiah begins to wholeheartedly seek the Lord. And then at age 20, Josiah begins to reform the land and rid Judah of its idolatry. We see these stories in Second Chronicles 34. And it's just amazing that so young as he comes to power at eight years old, and then at 16, he wholeheartedly seeks the Lord. At age 20, he begins to reform the land. And we've been reading about some of that over these last days. Later, we're going to read about how at age 26, still very young, Someone comes to him and says, we've been going through the temple trying to get all the idol worship stuff out and trying to cleanse it and restore it, and we have found a book. It's the book of the law, and that's going to be a very significant moment in uh, Judah's history at this time, and uh, King Josiah will have the response that we hope we would have today as we open up the book of God's law and read it. It's such an exciting thing. I can't wait to talk about it, but you don't read it until next week, and I don't want to get into it until uh, next week. Uh, but that's coming, and I'm super excited. Uh, and so I want us to turn to, before we'll come back to Zephaniah chapter 3 as we end today, but I want us to read a little bit about Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is one of the most significant prophets uh, ever, ever. And he is, um, uh, has a great, great message. And we read about his calling and the beginning of his ministry in Jeremiah chapter 1. Uh, Jeremiah is going to come along the scene, on the scene a little bit after Nahum and Zephaniah. Josiah has been king by the time Jeremiah becomes king for perhaps uh, 10 or 15 years. So it could very well be that the great reformations and re restorations that Josiah begins... Uh, at age 16 and age 20, uh, perhaps could be resulting from the preaching of these great preachers, Nahum, Zephaniah, and even Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Bethlehem. So we know a little bit about Jeremiah already. He, he is of priestly heritage. Uh, his ancestors are priests. Uh, much like uh, John the Baptist and his uh, parents, Elkanah and Elizabeth, uh, it is, um, uh, or Zechariah and Elizabeth, it is uh, 
a priestly family now, not a, not a kingly, a royal family like Zephaniah being uh, descended from King Hezekiah, but rather um, uh, the descendant of priests. And he is in the area of Bethlehem, just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, uh, obviously, the birthplace of uh, the King of Kings, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, will be born in Bethlehem, just as Micah had prophesied. Uh, but that is the area where Jeremiah is from. Verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So Jeremiah's ministry is long. I mean, it's really long compared to some other prophets. Isaiah's ministry was long uh, as well. And so Jeremiah has a ministry of 40, perhaps even 50 years uh, that starts during the time of Josiah and then goes through his sons and a grandson who become king after him. And ultimately it is Jeremiah who is still alive and still prophesying when the southern kingdom of Judah is taken into captivity. The walls are breached in Jerusalem. The temple is destroyed and the people are carried away into exile, just as Jeremiah and others had been warning against uh, for decades. Um, we continue reading about Jeremiah's call. Verse 4, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Um, I preached this past Sunday on the commandment, Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. Um, and uh, as we go through this series on the Ten Commandments on Sunday morning, and I hope that you'll find our website, westerwin.com, Irwin with an E-R-W-I-N, um, westerwin.com, and click on social media and other resources and go to our live streaming page. Click on the link that says Video Archive, and you can go back to my sermons. My sermon this past Sunday was on the sanctity of life. It was uh, with the question, do you value life? Because that commandment, thou shalt not murder, you shall not murder, is a commandment that says you are to value life. And Jeremiah is a great example of that. God says, I called you before, I, while you were still in the womb. Uh, before you were born, I set you apart. And what a, what a horrible tragedy it would have been if Jeremiah's mother would have said, you know, I don't need this child. I, I think I'm going to abort uh, what a tragedy that would be. Isaiah was also spoken of in the same way Paul the Apostle was spoken of. I hope that you'll go back and listen to that sermon. Watch that sermon on video on our website. Um, verse 5 again, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. And he likely was a young man, perhaps a teenager even, certainly young 20s. Um, and uh, just like King Josiah, Jeremiah would say, you know, I'm, I'm too young. I'm too young for this. But the Lord said to me, verse 7, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. 
God told uh, Jeremiah, I don't, I don't measure people by uh, how old they are. We think of the, of the anointing, the initial anointing of King David, the youngest of all the sons of his father, Jesse. And, uh, and, and we see in Jeremiah a man who starts out very young, just like King Josiah, and yet has a heart that's willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. And Jeremiah will do a lot of suffering, as you know. Uh, we'll be reading in the days to follow about the time when Jeremiah said, I quit. That's it. Preaching for the word of the Lord has brought me nothing but trouble all my life, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Um, that'll be an interesting passage in Jeremiah chapter 20. His, he has visions here at the very beginning of an almond tree and a boiling pot, uh, reminding Jeremiah and telling him to tell the people, look, I'm watching, just like that almond tree, I'm watching you. There's some similarity of terms there and, uh, and other things, but that's the message. I, God is watching over us. And uh, that boiling pot from the north, there's going to be some attacks that will come on Jerusalem from the north, and they will be the Babylonians. In the chapters that follow, Jeremiah speaks strong, strong messages against God's people because of their idolatry, because of they go to other nations for help instead of the Lord, um, because of their desire to be like the northern kingdom of Israel, which was destroyed because of their lack of faith. Some great statements here in these chapters in Jeremiah. In chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, it says, Break up the unplowed ground and circumcise your hearts. Uh, that statement, break up the unplowed ground. Look, let's start over. Let's, let's, let's get a fresh start here and circumcise your hearts. Again, God, throughout the Old Testament, is not just concerned about people keeping the externals of the law, but as the prophets have reminded us time and time again, he wants us to circumcise our hearts. He wants us to be following him wholeheartedly as Josiah decided to do at a very young age and as Jeremiah calls on the people to do in his day as well. In chapter 5, God condemns the prophets because they're prophesying lies. Uh, they're just, and, and we're reminded of what Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, watch out for those people because they want to gather around them uh, prophets and preachers and messengers who say what their itching ears want to hear rather than who speak God's truth. Jeremiah spoke God's truth. The Apostle Paul did as well. It got the Apostle Paul beheaded and killed in Rome. It got Jeremiah in a lot of trouble uh, throughout his decades of ministry. Uh, as well, and ultimately captured by his enemies and taken against his will uh, to Egypt. Uh, in chapter 6, he warns them of the things that are coming. Uh, in chapter 6, he tells them, he announces, build siege ramps against Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, that's his town. That Those are his people. But he says, look to the enemies. These people are away from the Lord. So go ahead. This is what's going to happen. There's going to be siege ramps built against these walls. And and ultimately the walls uh, will fall, and so will the city of Jerusalem and the nation of the kingdom of Judah. And then in chapter 6, uh, these words, verses 13 through 15, which just are, um, they, they should resonate with us today because they condemn us in our day and time today. Jeremiah 6, beginning in verse 13. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. 
Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, declares the Lord. What a, what a tragedy that the prophets and the priests and the leaders of the people of God in that day were saying, peace, peace, everything's okay. And everything wasn't okay. Everything wasn't okay. There was sin everywhere. People were acting with injustice and they were involved in idolatry and immorality, much like our world today. And, and there, was, there, was, there was no way you could talk around that and say, it's okay, it's okay. Uh, Jeremiah says, look, it, it's, not a, it's not a time of peace. It's, it's going to be the day of the Lord like uh, Nahum and, and Zephaniah and Amos said. It's going to be punishment. And he said, are they ashamed of their conduct? No, they have forgotten how to blush. He's going to say this again in chapter 8, and we're going to look next week at the incredible uh, sermon that Jeremiah has in chapter 7, Jeremiah's uh, uh, sermon on the church building, some have called it, and I think that's exactly right in Jeremiah 7. And we get a little preview of it here, and one of the things that he condemns them for is they, they're not ashamed at all of their horrible, immoral conduct, much like our nation today. No shame at all. They have forgotten how to blush. There are some things we should be embarrassed about, and yet we're not. And, um, and it's, a, it's a sad, sad thing. There are others who are announcing that, uh, that God wants us to be a moral and ethical people. And uh, that, that was the message of Jeremiah as well. And then he says this in verse 16, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear you earth, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. That's how God deals with us when we, over uh, a long period of time of him searching for us and calling to us and trying to get us to come back to him, when we refuse and we do not seek the ancient paths, uh, those ancient words we sing about, the words that are contained in this book right here, that is the only place where we can go to for the inspired and authoritative and objective word of God. Uh, that calls us to go beyond our feelings, to go beyond our selfish desires, to go beyond our culture and ask for God's truth and God's word and what God sees is right. That's what he calls us to do. That's what Jeremiah called the people in the 600s BC to do as well. And so as we close today, I want us to go back to this great word from the prophet Nahum because Nahum has strong words for Judah and strong words for Jerusalem, but he also has a promise. And I want us to hold on to that promise today as well. This is what will happen if we turn to God and hear his word and seek to obey it. As we will sing this coming Sunday, trust and obey that great old hymn still resonates to us today. Uh, Nahum chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Are you better than Thebes, situated on the Nile with water around her? The river was her defense. The waters was her, were her wall. Cush and Egypt were her boundaries. Strength 
and strength put, and Libya were among her allies. Yet she was taken captive and went into exile. And he goes on and on to talk about all of the difficult things that will go on. And it's such an incredible statement um, at the end of, of Nahum, uh, that call to repent or else, we might say. But then we turn to back to Zephaniah again, and, and Zephaniah has these wonderful statements of, of blessing and restoration for God's people. We'll read from Zephaniah 3, starting in verse 9. Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, Egypt, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs you have done to me, because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and humble, the remnant of Israel. Zephaniah 3, verse 12. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths, unlike what we have read in the prophets recently. They will eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time I will gather you. At that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Message of hope and restoration from Zephaniah 3, not just to the people of his day, but to all who will seek to trust and obey the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we can't be counted among them. I look forward to seeing you next week.